Hey, good morning, Encounter Church. We see you out there. We are so glad you are here. My name is Dylan. I'm an intern here at the church, and I'm here with... Brianna DeWitt. I serve as a small group leader here and sometimes show up in other places, like on your screen. That's right, and We're so glad that you're with us today. We would love to connect with you a little bit more. Maybe you're here with us at Kentwood or over at Fulton Heights or joining us online. We are one church in many locations, and we'd love to connect with you. You can go ahead and scan the QR code. It's either on the screen in front of you or in the seat in front of you and it will take you to a site with lots of info about serving and small groups and giving and lots more wonderful info so go ahead and check that out and if this is your first time here at Kentwood in person first of all a giant welcome to you and we'd love it if you stopped by the starting point desk they would just like to meet you and get to know you a little bit and they also have a fun little welcome gift for you so be sure to check that out that's right yeah and actually the starting point is the perfect place to go uh, to check out small groups too if you're here in person at Kentwood um, they got an iPad there you can kind of scroll through and see what's going on because it is our our fall season kickoff of small groups and I gotta tell you there is a lot of small group yes. options this season um, you know scrolling through my phone right here there's like there's men's groups there's women's groups there's a financial group there's you know the classic midweek study with Dirk which is a fan favorite around here there's a financial one there's a a 50 plus potluck one and, and my my favorite on here is called the sixth Day, which Ooh. I'm not even really sure what that is. So what you need to do is go to EncounterChurch.org or swing by the, the starting point desk and check out to see which that one is. I think that's going to be a really, really cool one. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm a little biased, so there's another one on there. If you are a woman or know a woman, there's a group on there. We're studying the book of Proverbs, and I happen to be the leader of that one. So it should be really great. We're using a cool little study guide that has lots of little timelines and pictures and things like that to add a little visual interest so i'm pretty excited go ahead and check that out good plug brianna good plug yeah i do what i can i mean <laughs> that's it if you're looking to get connected with other people if you're looking to grow deeper in your relationship with god your understanding of god i mean we have the perfect group for you so you just need to get online swing by starting point check out those groups sign up if you want more of a personal connection and getting signed up you can even email Paula personally at Paula at EncounterChurch.org, and she will help you uh, figure things out and see where you fit. And we certainly have lots of small groups, and another great way to get connected is through serving. That's right. We have lots of different options there as well, and would love to help you find one that feels like the right fit for you. So just last week, I got to hang out with some of our youngest attendees in Next Gen, and it was a lot of fun. So awesome. that's one option, or you can greet people, whether that's outside or helping people find seats. So there's lots of wonderful options, and we'd love to help you find one. So yeah, I mean, you can find that in all the same places you can find groups basically well, i mean even if you want to do this like we will we'll give up our spots right so y'all can join and, and serve this way yeah, yeah so good. absolutely yeah. awesome well you know when i think about things like getting involved and stuff like that <laughs> uh i also think about activities and we're we're heading into fall i think this week kind of hit for real with fall yep. so what are some of your favorite fall activities well, I'll just say one nice thing is the, the fresh air, mm. the cool, crisp air. Call me a simpleton, but I love the season where you can crack your window at night, not have the air conditioning on and have that, that cool breeze coming through the mm. house. Oh, that is like heaven for me. That's like a little slice of heaven. And it to me, it makes outdoor activities more enjoyable for me. I'm yeah. not so much of a... Uh, warm weather right, person not dripping in sweat walking 50 yards you yep know? <laughs> yep so my daily walk around the neighborhood has become more enjoyable this time of year and also the scenery 
really picks up right. around this time of year too. Oh. You get all those leaves changing colors. Yeah. So there's a street in my neighborhood where at, at some point, most of the trees on that street will turn yellow nice. and it's just really lovely. Yeah, actually that's one of my favorite things too, being from Ontario from in Canada, mm. like the fall foliage is just beautiful. It's just like awestruck, right? I mean, and, and I joke, like, I feel like Michigan is a lot like kind of an extension of Ontario or, or vice versa. You know, if you go far enough north, you're basically in Ontario already without that's crossing true. the border, right? So, I mean, growing up, the fall foliage, we used to do Sunday afternoon drives with my dad, and I swear he knew the entire province, like the back of his hand. We'd drive for hours. It felt like days sometimes, and yet we'd always end up back at home. He never had a phone for GPS. He never used a map. Um, but I kind of—it's always impressive. Yeah, I think that's part of why I love the fall foliage. Just kind of takes me to, back to those moments. Yeah, simple really moments. Kind of ingrained into you. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I, you gotta love jumping into a leaf pile too. You know, that's a classic. Yeah, it wasn't super my—that was my favorite. But you know, I know a lot of people that do like that. So oh, it's that's a good time. You. Cool. cool. <laughs> yep. Well, we are about to head into worship, so go ahead wherever you're joining us. Stand up if you're able, and let's start worshiping God together. Good morning, Encounter Church. Please join us in worshiping this morning. You say you love me, but how could you when I ran so close? And still you want me when I lose sight of where you are. But it only took a moment with you a glimpse of life with purpose and i knew that living where the light is oh lord it's exactly where you want me and i never want to leave so i'm gonna stay in your presence sing of your love
stones for you delight in the offering you have the heavens to call your home for you abide in the song we sing ten thousand angels surround your throne to bring you praise that
Good morning, Encounter Church. It is so great to be worshiping with y'all this morning. My name is Dylan Harper. I'm the intern here at Encounter. And I'm Brianna DeWitt. I serve as a small group leader here, and sometimes I pop up in other places as well. So it's great to be with you. We're so glad that you're joining us, whether you're here at Kentwood or joining us online. We are one church in many locations. We'd love to connect with you more. You can go ahead and scan the QR code either on the screen in front of you or on the seat in front of you, and it will take you to a place where you can find lots of info about all sorts of things like serving and small groups and all that good stuff. And if you are here at Kentwood for the first time in person, we're so glad that you joined us today. Go ahead and stop by at the starting point desk. They would love to get to know you a little bit, and they also have a fun little welcome gift for you. Awesome. Yes, and it is small group season, fall kickoff of small groups. So head on head on to our website, EncounterChurch.org. We have so many groups, whether you're looking to connect with others, whether you want to grow your relationship with God, they, we have the perfect group for you. So head on over to EncounterChurch.org and figure out what group fits you best. And while you're there, go ahead and check out the serving opportunities as well. Whether it's holding babies or greeting people as they come in or helping people find their seat, we would love to have you join us on a serving team. So go ahead and get plugged in that way. That's right. And if God's put it on your heart to give today, um, you know, generosity is our declaration that we trust God and we trust that he does amazing things with our gifts in order to help bring people far from him to new life in Christ. And one of the best ways that you can do that, being generous, is by setting up a recurring gift online, which you can find all the information with that on our website as well. So we're going to head into the message now. Let's uh, join and watch this together. Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter. We're so glad uh, that you're here with us today. Uh, listen, I want to uh, give a, a quick kind of intro for those of you who may be new here at church. Uh, we're a phone-friendly church, which means that anytime during this message, uh, you can pull out your phone. That's okay. That's even encouraged. Take notes, follow along with the, uh, with the scripture passage. Also, uh, I want to invite you to scan the QR code and the seat back in front of you. Fulton High is here at Kentwood. Uh, that's a great way for you to take your next courageous step of faith by joining a, a serving team, joining a small group, developing that community is super important. Uh, today we're on part three of, uh, of the series, uh, five words that God uses to change your life. And, uh, and throughout this series, uh, what we're doing is taking a look at these words that God uses that have this massive life change, an outside change compared to what the words are to begin with. So we started this series in part one called Yes. And yes was a fun word. Yes is a, is a glittery, sparkly word. Yes opens doors. Uh, no, no is powerful in its own right. No protects us from harm. Uh, no protects our health. No protects our family. No, no protects and guards your life. Today, as we get into it, the word, um, it, isn't, it isn't as fun of a word. And in fact, I intentionally put this one as part three in the series because I kind of knew that this is going to be a tough one. Uh, the word this morning is help. Now, as I say that, I don't, like, I don't like to be the one to ask for help. I know that I'm not alone in this. There's many of us. We don't like to ask for help. When we ask for help, 
Sometimes it makes us look weak. When we ask for help, for me, it, it makes me feel like I'm now in debt to the person that I ask for help from. If I want to borrow my neighbor's leaf blower, you know, like I don't know what he's going to end up in asking me to borrow in the future. And I, I'll feel like I have to, I owe him something because of that. Like, I don't want to ask for help because what if, what if that person helps and what if they do it better than me and what if I lose control of the project or lose control of the thing that I'm working on? I, do, I, don't, I don't ask for help because most of the time, I don't think I need help or I don't know that I need help. Like, I'm the guy in the store who, who goes to pick out the bookshelf and it's still in the box and it clearly says with the two, like, silhouette guys, like, Team lift only, right? And I'm like, for most people, I mean, I got this, right? And I try to put it in the cart or on the, on the pallet, you know, and, and it doesn't go in this way. It kind of goes in awkwardly this way. And I'm like winding this thing through all of the, the made-up living rooms and kitchens, all of them throughout all three floors of Ikea. And I'm like knocking down the frauden mulin and yurp legs everywhere in the store. Those are real names of furniture in Ikea. Slow week. I looked it up. You know, and I'm looking back, I'm looking, and there's a wake of destruction behind me of all kinds of the things that I broke, but at least I didn't have to ask for help, right? You know, that's a consolation prize. There's one gender in particular that has a particular struggle with asking for help. You don't have to guess. Studies show even in the era of GPS and smartphones, Gentlemen, on average, you drive 276 miles extra every year just because you refuse, we refuse to ask for help. Some of you are going, I married far above average, <laughs> right? Like we, we, don't, we don't love asking for help. But this is, this is kind of the baseline, our starting point this morning of a fun examples aside is that we all, simply put, we all need help. We do. We all need help, but not all of us recognize that we all need help. See, what we do when we ask for help is that we avert our own disaster. We, we prevent some small things from becoming very, very large things. And when we ask for help, we, we prevent problems from becoming crises. When we ask for help, we prevent a bad paper grade or a bad test grade from becoming a failed class or even worse. When we ask for help, small overspending on the budget doesn't grow and blossom into massive amounts of debt piling up, covered up by shame. This is what help does. When we ask for help, those low-grade, unresolved conflicts and tension don't blossom and grow into divorce. When we ask for help, the temptation or what we tell ourselves is the innocent flirtation doesn't grow into an affair. When we ask for help, procrastination and avoidance doesn't grow into unemployment. When we ask for help, that sarcasm that brings on cheap laughs doesn't grow into loneliness because people will tolerate that for a little bit, but nobody wants to live around that for a long time. There's power and this word, help. And I think there's more courage in voicing the word help than there is in any amount of running and hiding and denying that we need help to begin with. It's, it's baked 
into our souls. Listen to me. We open up the Bible and we see what God has for us there. We see how God made us. And we see that God prefers the title that we use to reference him again and again is my help and my helper. One of the most common ways that God asks us to refer to him as helper. He wants He wants to help us. He wants us to ask for help. I submit to you, church, that that is because he made us. And to live according to our purpose, we live in continual dependence on others and on him. It's how he made us. Our purpose is asking again and again for help. And we don't love that. And we have to learn and sometimes relearn how to build or rebuild our lives around that little word, help. And so there's a fun little story that one author shares that I think more than any other really helps us come to terms with what it means to ask for help well. And it comes to us from a follower of Jesus named John, and he wrote down the gospel, the Jesus story, according to John. And he shares it in John chapter 2. Let's go there. John chapter 2 starts off with this on the first verse. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Pause. I just want to point out that Jesus was the kind of guy that got invited to a wedding. Like, there was a party happening, and in those days, no party was better than a wedding party. And so I just like to point out that for those of you who follow Jesus, Jesus was the kind of guy who wasn't a wet towel on the party. He was the guy worth inviting to the party. That's literally all I have to say on that. Verse 3, when, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, you have no more wine. It's a, it's a party and they're running out of wine. That's kind of the, the founding tension of the story. And, and Mary, Jesus' mom, comes to him and just points it out. They have no, no more wine. I've been to a, a number of weddings. I got to officiate a number of weddings. It strikes me that at every wedding, something goes wrong. And my wedding, the like, wedding cake started to, started to melt, and so we ended up serving dessert before dinner, which literally nobody complained about. I mean, it's fine. Uh, sometimes the like, you know, colors of the flowers are wrong. You know, little things happen. The wedding I officiated was a staff person uh, around here just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, two hours before the ceremony was set to begin, I'm getting into my one and only suit, and I rip the pants open. True story. Uh, every wedding, big or small, something tends to go wrong. Every wedding, you tend not to even notice or care because it's what God is doing is so intimate, infinitely greater than whatever happened to go wrong at the wedding. This is another story. Hospitality in Jesus' day was a sacred obligation. To be able to invite your, not just close friends and family, but your whole community to a wedding celebration wasn't just a day, it was potentially a week-long celebration. It's a huge deal. Now, they're running out of, of wine. It's not so much what it is, it's what it symbolized for them. 
Uh, for them, going all the way back to the days of uh, Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, wine is a euphemism. It's a stand-in. Uh, wine is used to talk about happiness. Wine is used to talk about joy. You just think about what it meant in a culture in that day for just a moment. If you're the bride and groom, if you're the wedding couple, and on your wedding day, you're running out of joy and happiness. The stigma and shame that would follow the couple their whole lives, I think, would be crushing. And so Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. I wonder why Mary did. I wonder, you know, was she like part of the crew hosting the wedding? You know, was she like the wedding coordinator? And so she's responsible for looking after the details of the, of the wedding, you know? Somebody said, um, maybe Mary goes to Jesus uh, and complains to him because he was invited, maybe his disciples weren't invited. And honestly, the disciples that Jesus followed weren't exactly the pinnacle of refinement. Fishermen, tax collectors carried a reputation. Maybe Mary goes to Jesus and says they have no more wine because, yeah, Jesus, Matthew just drank it all. <laughs> I think Mary goes to Jesus because she identified an unsolvable problem. And if she's going to ask for help from anybody, it's going to be the one, the only one, who can do anything at all about it. You see, of everybody in the room, Mary was the only one outside of Jesus who really knew who he was and what he was capable for. May we not forget that Mary was the one, she saw Jesus get baptized only a little while ago in this story. She heard the voice, the booming voice of heaven, this is my son. She saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove on Jesus. She watched him go out in the wilderness. She heard about his temptation of Satan in the wilderness. We heard about that last week and came back. May we not forget that a literal angel came to Mary and and notified her of her pregnancy before she knew that she was pregnant and said, behold, you're with child. He's going to be the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And she carried the shame of an untimely pregnancy in those days with his unexplainable circumstances her whole life. And now is her moment. You know, could it be in front of everybody, her friends, her family, the whole community? Jesus, there's a problem. Show everybody who you are. Finally, explain it to them in the way that I have never been able to previously. She comes to Jesus with an unsolvable problem. They have no more wine. Max Lucado wrote about this, and, uh, and he said, you know, it strikes me that this is the first prayer in the Bible specifically to Jesus, which is kind of an unusual prayer, right? Like, if you're thinking about, like, the cross-stitched patterns of prayers in your grandmother's den, you go down there, and it's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. They have no more wine. <laughs> Just like on the list. She goes to Jesus with an unsolvable problem. And it's good that she did. Many of you have heard this story. You know that a miracle is coming out of this. 
I think for right now, we should identify that a miracle comes out of this because she went to Jesus. What happens next happens as a result of her putting up her arms and saying, um, Jesus, help. Can you help? I would have loved to see kind of the interaction and the play between these two, especially in verse 4 where Jesus looks at his mom and he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Just, just to be clear, um, it sounds a bit cringy when Jesus says, calls his mom like, woman, why do you involve me? Uh, there's something that's lost in translation over the last 2,000 years since John wrote this. Um, it, it's not a derogatory way. It's not negative in any way. Woman, why do you involve me? Um, it is unusual, though. And John, who's writing this, he intends it to come off as a bit unusual because there was this hint of formality to it where he, he says to his mom, you know, uh, woman, a better cultural translation would be something like ma'am. Like Jesus goes to his mom, excuse me, ma'am, um, why do you involve me when my hour hasn't yet come? Some people think that what Jesus is doing is he's actually establishing a new reality. When he transitions imminently into his new public ministry, things are going to be different between he, him and his mom. You know, when he starts to amass followers, and then when he starts losing them, when he becomes a lightning rod for criticism, and even to the point of his own death, he's letting his mom in, in that, listen, from now on, things are going to be different. You're no longer just going to be my doting mom and I, your baby boy. Things are differently when what's about to happen happens. You know, along with that, Jesus says, Jesus doesn't give her the answer that she wanted. She wanted the, I'm on it. <laughs> I'll handle it. It's done. The answer that Jesus gives her is, not yet. Have you been there? Jesus, it's my job. Jesus, it's my health. Jesus, I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go next. Jesus, it's my kid. Jesus, it's my future. I don't know why. God doesn't give us the circumstances that we ask for along the timeline that we ask for. But I'm struck with the fact that not yet is an answer. I'm struck with Jesus' response to her isn't ignoring, it isn't a hard pass. His response to her is an acknowledgement that the story that God is telling isn't finished yet. Excuse me, ma'am. There's another chapter to the story of your life. I think there's somebody probably watching here in the room. And you just need to know that this chapter that you're on is a difficult one. 
You need to be reminded that God reserves his most difficult assignments for his most trusted servants. But you also need to be reminded that the story that God is telling is not finished yet. And then I want to see the look that he gives her. You see, it's an encouraging thing. The, the way he says it, the words on the page, I don't think do it justice. I don't know how Jesus said it. I don't know the tone that Jesus used to say it. I don't know if he kind of winked as he said these words. But, but what's communicated is in Mary's response is that how Jesus said this, you know, it's not done. It's not a no. It's a not yet. It, it left her not as hopeless he didn't leave her in despair. He left her in hope because in the very next line, Mary, verse 5, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I, and I love that line. Do whatever he tells you. Because it's, um, it's almost like, isn't it true? It's almost like Mary is breaking the fourth wall, you know? And, and he's, she's talking to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. And then she looks square at the camera like Jim Helpert style. And she's like, yeah, you too, right? Everybody listening in counter church, do whatever he tells you. You know? He's, she's talking to all of us. Like this is, this is the wisdom of the Bible coming through here. Do whatever he tells you. And it's a good thing she said that too. Nearby, verse 6, stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Listen, so they filled them to the brim. They filled them to the brim. It's a good thing that Mary said, do whatever he tells you, because then when Jesus said, fill up the water jars, they went all the way up to the top. Guys, if I'm a servant at a, at a wedding, I'm on, I'm on the crew, the, the work crew of this thing, and somebody turns to me, a guest turns to me and says, you know, fill up the water jars. Guys, 20 to 30 gallons, not to mention they're made out of stone. It's 150 gallons, probably. I'm looking for a reason not to fill it to the brim. I'm like, you know, two-thirds, two-thirds full, that's full. And most people consider that to be full. They would have missed out on 50 gallons of miracle that day. But instead, they filled it to the brim. You know, I just, I couldn't imagine... What if we were the, like the kind of people, if we were the do whatever he asks you, fill it to the brim kind of people? You know, I don't want to miss out on an ounce of miracle that Jesus is going to accomplish through my life. You know what? So when it comes to, when it comes to encouraging one another, I'm the fill it to the brim kind of encourage one another. When it comes to serving each other, maybe, maybe at work, Maybe at church, maybe at home. It's not going to be done with like this begrudging kind of spirit. I wish I didn't have to, but I guess I will. No, I'm a fill it to the brim kind of encourager, of server. I don't want to miss out on an ounce of the miracle that Jesus is going to do. When it comes to giving, I'm going to do it with a sacrificial kind of heart because I don't want to miss out on an ounce of what God is going to do. When it comes to telling the truth, I'm going to tell the truth courageously, even when I'm tempted to lie, because I'm the kind of person that doesn't want to miss out on an ounce of what God is going to do. There's an old saying that says, you know, it seems like if we bring God a thimble, He'll fill the thimble. If we bring God a bucket, he'll fill the bucket. 
I wish, and my prayer is for us to be a bucket kind of people, a fill it to the brim, whatever it takes kind of people. And God fills it up. Think about what that would have meant for the servants that day. You know, it, it strikes me like the, the kingdom nature of this fascinating little story because you know who doesn't find out how all of this took place? In the bride and groom. By the way, bride and groom, they never find out about things at the wedding. I ripped my pants and I definitely did not share that with the bride and groom on their wedding day. <laughs> Bride and groom don't find, don't find out. Um, master of ceremony, master of the banquet, he doesn't find out. You know who has firsthand knowledge of what God did that day? It's the servants. What a beautiful kind of upside down kingdom that, that we live in by God's grace. That I just imagine these guys remembering where they were. If they're carrying around 25-gallon stone water buckets again and again. I think that they're probably some young guys. I think that what happened with them carried on with them throughout their lives so that when they found out who Jesus really was and everything that Jesus would go on to accomplish, when Jesus dies and the sky goes dark and he rises from the dead and the world is forever changed, these are the guys who gather their kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids on their lap and they explain to him, I was there at the very first miracle. I was, I was hauling the stone jars and, and filling them to the brim. God showed me first what he was about to do what he was about to do. This is, this is what he was about to do, verse 8. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, you know, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. In John, writing this story, one of the followers of Jesus, John adds kind of this end note onto the story. Verse 11, he says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. It strikes me that John was one of those disciples. I don't think it's a stretch to say that this was the first of what would be many aha moments in the life and discipleship of John. I think it's important that we recognize that? <laughs> because I, I hear a story like this, and uh, I get a week to prepare some like profound insights about this thing before I bring it to you. Um, my initial read on the thing is, honestly, this is kind of a, a, a frivolous miracle. <laughs> like, I, Jesus, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job. 
but maybe I would have done it a little bit differently. Like, come, come on. Water into wine? Really? Like, Jesus, you've done so many cool things. Jesus, you were the guy who, who, who took uh, people suffering from leprosy, this uh, infectious skin disease, right, that, that ate them alive physically and then spiritually robbed them of community as they had to live in isolation. And then you, you healed them and restored them to community. Now, Jesus, that is a miracle, right? Like, uh, giving sight to blindness, hearing to the deaf, that's a miracle. Mobility to the paralyzed, Jesus nailed it. That's a miracle. Raising the dead, I mean, yes, we're here for that. Even feeding of the 5,000 makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're going to get hungry a few hours later again, but Jesus, at least that is a miracle. The first miracle that you're ever going to do is like you're going to be this cosmic bartender? Like, Jesus, you're turning H2O into Merlot? little cheesy, right? Like, come on. And John goes, no, no, no. No, he, he, took, he took what was to be an epic social faux pas disaster, and he turned it into the thing that reveals his glory. That Jesus looked at Mary and maybe even with his eyes, he, he communicated. I recognize that according to, in, in proportion to what I came to do, save humanity from their sins, this is small. But if it matters to you, it matters to me. And I'm going to take your disaster and turn it into something beautiful. That's what he does. Is that our God loves to tell redemptive stories. Is that there's a time when every single one of us are going to be in that place that humbles us and reminds us that we need help and you'd be humbled to the point of your knees, saying, Jesus, help. And you'll remember that your God loves to tell redemptive stories. He does. You know, just to illustrate this a bit more, that I was reminded in a real way, like how life works. Uh, kids... Many of you have taken care of young kids. They need help. Kids come into this world just needing so much help. It's one of the first things they learn. Help me get dressed. Help me get food. Help me go potty. You know, if the parent lives long enough, it reverses. And the parents are the ones to their kids saying, help me get dressed. Help me get food. Help me even use the bathroom. We come into this world needing help. You will exit this world needing help. In the middle 
there is this temptation to say, I can do this, I've got this, and God has a word for that too. It's called arrogance. Because in a moment, we will be reminded of the help that we need. It's a lab report. It's a blood vessel that doesn't quite function like it should. It's an email that says that the job you had is no longer a job that you have. It's the loss of a job. It's the loss of a child. It's, it's so much. And we're back to that place on our knees asking, Jesus, help. Asking like Mary coming to Jesus and saying, this is, this is the problem, and I don't even know what to do with it. And Jesus, or Mary, when she goes to Jesus and she asks for that help, like we, all of us, we go to Jesus. Church, you might not even have the words to say because of the weight of it all is now crushing and, and, and setting in. And may we be reminded, especially if you're a person who, who doesn't think that you're very good at praying, when she goes to Jesus, they have no more wine. It's not a good prayer. It's not a good prayer at all, but what it is, it doesn't matter so much the words that she says. It doesn't matter what she says. It matters that she prays and to whom she prays. And it doesn't matter, church, in that moment when it's crumbling, that, that, that humbling moment in the middle when you recognize that arrogance isn't going to cut it and we all need help. It doesn't matter what we say. It's that we pray and to whom we pray. Jesus, this is a problem. Do something about it, would you? Would you? And God will meet you in that moment and tell a redemptive story. If I could add a tag onto that, it's just this question. Of course, who is helping you? But also, who are you helping? It goes both ways. I was reminded of helping this story uh, earlier on with these two guides that took out a couple of tourists out hunting, ram hunting, in Alaska. And they had to cross the Yanner River, which is a rushing river, quarter of a mile wide where they had to cross on horseback. Uh, in addition to the uh, rapidly changing currents of the river, there's also, uh, it, it's muddy, it's silty, they can't see into it. There's deep holes that, that the horses could go down into. And, and the guides look back, the lead guy, 57 years old, um, looks at the rest of the crew and says, whatever you do, do not get off from your horse. It's dangerous. And, and they go down into the river. First, the guides lead guide, and then the assistant right behind, 21 years old. Now, the assistant took a different route, and he made it to the other side safely. The 57-year-old lead guy wasn't so fortunate. He got stuck. His horse got stuck in, in one of these holes, and the water started rising above the sole of his boots. Above his boots, water is coming in. Above his knee on up, his saddle is now underwater. It's too much. He can't take his own advice. The water sweeps him away. He's, he's flowing now at a, at a heavy clip downstream, bobbing up and down. He, he, he gets to the point where he can throw up his hands and declare a word this morning, two hands in there, help! 
There's a kid on shore, assistant, 21 years old. He gets off from his horse. He grabs a rope. He puts it in a, in a circle. He looks at his lead guy, and he tosses it out. And like a bullet, he rockets it and hits him 30 yards away, square in the chest. In one motion, he jumps onto horseback while he's kicking it. And he tears off, pulling, pulling his lead guide to shallow water and safety. <laughs> that wasn't the first time that 21-year-old threw a rope. As it turns out, that kid had been tossing a rope every day since he was five years old, entering cattle wrangling rodeos in competitions. Growing up in Cody, Wyoming, for 16 years, he had been developing this skill, preparing himself just for the moment when somebody in his life would throw up their hands and ask for help. Church, I am asking you, to begin preparing yourself to be the one that can offer help when the time comes. Who's helping you? Yes, but, but whom are you helping? This looks like developing yourself, maybe as a leader, maybe as a student, maybe as a parent, as an employee, as a tradesperson, preparing yourself immersing yourself into the word of God so that when the moment comes, you know how to act and how to react, to live a life of integrity. So when somebody in your life throws up their hands and says, help, you're there. You've already signed up for the small group. You've already been walking with them when the truth came out and the bucket of their life was knocked over. God had you in position and now he's asking you to throw the rope. Ask for help. And at other times, you're the one that God uses to offer help. God has pulled many of you through addiction. That's your rope to throw out. God has pulled many of you through divorce. This is your rope of help to throw out. God has pulled many of you through depression and through despair and through anxiety. And he has given you a rope of a lifeline, a lifeline to, to pull someone else through that. We say it around here all the time that God's area of greatest ministry for you often comes from your area of greatest need. He's given you a rope. Be prepared to throw it this week. How I'd love to end our time together is invite everybody, Fulton Heights here in Kentwood, watching online, wherever you are, to please stand up where you are. And, and we're just going to have a simple prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to end it with a, with a fill in the blank about where you and I, where, where we need help. And just silently, or if you're a bit more courageous, maybe share it with the person that you came here with. But just to ask God for some help. And we have a, a prayer team in the back at Fulton Heights and at Kentwood. You can leave the prayer request in the comment section below. We would love to pray with you during this last song. Just to head back to the table so we can ask for God for help together. Let's pray together. God, we come to you and some of us don't even know all the time what the help is that we need. Others of us, Lord, are acutely aware. 
first of all, we want to thank you for being the rope, for being the lifeline that, that saved us from drowning in our own sin and, and put us onto the safety of the shore in your family, in faithfulness. God, now whatever it is, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's guilt, whether it's the jealousy of watching somebody else live the life that we wish we could have, God, please help. Help me with. And as hundreds of these prayers go up to you, we pray all of this in the name of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. Carry us through the mountain and the valley all the same. Amen.
Church, God loves to tell a redemptive story. And as you go into your week, being the one to throw the rope to offer help or being the one to ask for it, we take our requests, we take our disasters like Mary to the feet of Jesus. And John says that he turns those disasters into the first sign through which Jesus will reveal his glory through you and me and through our potential disasters. Dylan's on the prayer team. He's in the back of the room. He would love to pray with you before you leave. But right now, go in peace. Go into this week with God's power. And we'll see you next week for part four.